My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In today's episode, we chat with Natalie Arney, digital marketing and SEO consultant, as well as speaker at the upcoming Brighton SEO conference in April. We discuss how she went from the profession of teaching to a career in SEO, how her skills ended up being a very natural fit in the SEO industry, getting started in copywriting, agency life versus in-house, and so much more. In the news, we talk about the new Bing Webmaster Tools rollout, as well as Google's recent statements on how their systems aren't looking for EAT, but hope that their signals align to EAT. And finally, we deep dive into one of our most important and serious topics yet, mental health and SEO. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Natalie's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hey, everybody. It is Jacob Stoops, and we are back. Episode 42, 42 of the Page 2 podcast, and I am here with Mr. Jeff Luella. How's it going, Jeff? Oh, great. It was just like yesterday we were at 40. You know, now we're at 42. It was literally like 40 <laughs> years ago that we were at 40. Amazing. Yeah. And Jeff, I'm glad to glad to hear that you've cleared off, uh, cleared the sound from all of the clicking and fan belts that you have running in your computer. So oh, yes, high powered microphones are not the greatest. So and now it also it's it kind of sounds like you're in a wind uh, a wind tunnel maybe. Oh, <laughs> let me shut that off then. <laughs> uh, yeah, shut off the wind tunnel. We'll, we'll move it closer. How does that sound? You have in your office. So. Anyways, uh, I feel like Jeff and I usually get into some weird unplanned banter at the beginning <laughs> of the episode, and I'm not sure if it makes people like comfortable, like, like oh, these uh, guys are right. down to earth, just a couple of idiots, or if it makes people uncomfortable, like when we talked about the weather last episode, which <laughs> I think is like the lowest form of, of small talk and conversation, and I am yes. awful at small talk, so like when I get to the weather, after that, I've got nothing else. I've got nothing else, and I'm just going to stand quietly and make people uncomfortable. So, yeah. not to say that uh, in last week's episode, that's where we that's where we got with Jason. We had, we had an amazing discussion, but yeah. talk about the you know you, you are now talking to the uh, beginners champion of cornhole. Um, we won last night. Really, in the, in the beginners league, so we are uh, now the champions of the beginners. <laughs> which make which makes us move, have to move to intermediate next year. So okay, all right, champ. I'm just going to start calling you champ. <laughs> yeah, it was a wonderful time as champ or Mister Luella. We got we got a trophy and all. You know, it's a little tiny one that was like this big, but it's a it's good right. size. So Jeff, we're actually being a little rude. We have a guest. We have I know. A, we got another guest. That's what we do. Um, so our guest is Miss Natalie Arney. Natalie, how's it going? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, yeah, all good, thank you. Here in rainy England, um, rainy Brighton, um, but it's, I'm all, I'm all good myself. Yes, thank you. 
Yeah, so we are jumping back across the pond. We've we've done a, a lot of uh, jaunting back and forth across the across the pond with uh, with different guests. And Natalie is a digital marketing consultant. You uh, you might have heard that she mentioned Brighton. Of course, everybody I'm sure knows of the conference Brighton SEO. Right. And I guess my I guess my first question would be what's What's it like to be in a city where there's such a major, it's like a major hub for, uh, for SEO in terms of like, I guess being like the Mecca that ever that, that right. people go to once a, once a year. Yeah, it's a strange one. Um, when everyone, when you always mention to someone that you live in Brighton, they do think it's a bit strange. Um, it's a city where everyone knows everyone, especially within the search industry. Um, and everyone's pretty much worked with everyone as well. And then on top of that, having Brighton SEO um, come along a couple of times a year and you're just it's 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 bizarre it's it really is bizarre but it's it's great at the same time it's such a great conference and it's such a great way to celebrate search and having having such a, a search oriented city um but yeah it's it's i enjoy it i enjoy living here and i enjoy going to brighton seo and working in seo so it's pretty fitting for me cool so yeah, we'll get more into into that, but I had to ask right off the bat. So uh, <laughs> let me let me explain quickly the podcast. Uh, we're we're a small uh, the a small podcast. We're like the little train that could, and we're uh, we're growing. Um, we've had in the last couple of months, uh, honestly, our our highest listener listenership um, since we since we started, which is almost. A year and a half now we've been uh, we've been running at this uh, this podcast, so we're really really excited, um, especially recently to see kind of the the growth that we've been experiencing. But for those of you that have never heard this podcast before, I like to say that we just kind of bump into people organically, and we're constantly having uh, having people come to us and say, "Hey, I just discovered your your podcast," and it's great. And, and they say a lot of nice words about it, which we're, we're very thankful for the, um, for the really nice words, but um, people really have just been kind of discovering it. It's very um, word of word of mouth. And like I said, or organic, uh, no pun intended. Um, but yeah, so the premise of the, the podcast is especially when it started was um, essentially to tell the stories of SEOs because none of us get into SEO on purpose. It almost seems like it, unless you're really new to the industry, and even if you're really new, uh, a lot of people just kind of fall into it from other places. And I, when I started the podcast, really wanted to figure out kind of a unique value proposition. Why would somebody want to listen to this podcast over any other SEO podcast that they could listen to? And I thought, you know what? I find that part of the industry incredibly interesting. And I want to have a voice, uh, and I thought that those stories were very, um, very important to tell. And not only that, um, telling the the inside, the insider stories about what it's like to be an SEO just day to day, and the challenges and trials and tribulations uh, that we all go through professionally in this uh, in this industry. Um, and I think uh, obviously Jeff has joined in season two and, and has brought a tremendous amount of experience and, and a lot of really great stories with him as well. And we've had over the course of time, a lot of really amazing guests come on and uh, be very frank and very, uh, very honest. So that's kind of the core of the podcast. Uh, in season two, we kind of added a couple of different components. We've added uh, a segment about the SEO news 
uh, where we talk about the news of the day, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, it could range from big news to Twitter beefs, whatever, <laughs> kerfuffles, I like to call them. Um, and, and honestly, we just give our kind of unfiltered uh, opinions, uh, and, and usually it's right as things are breaking. So it's literally the first thing off the top of our heads in terms of how we're interpreting the various yeah. things going on in the industry. And a lot of times it's Jeff being level-headed and me just yelling about things. <laughs> um, and then kind of the, the third leg of the, the stool, as uh, Ian Howells kind of coined, coined it, uh, the third leg of the stool is, that we added in season two is a deep dive. Uh, so every episode, we try to dive into a particular kind of predetermined topic. Uh, and this week, I think we're, we are going to have one of the more important discussions that we've ever had on this podcast. And not to say that we haven't talked about it before. It's been, um, especially in season one, I would say maybe to a lesser degree, degree in season two, but it's definitely been there. Um, we have talked about the issue of mental health uh, met, and mental health as it relates to SEO. But mental health is a big, a big topic. So I don't think that we're going to even scratch the surface. But I think it's a really, really important uh, topic to cover because as, as humans, um, we all, it's very natural to, to have to deal with mental health issues. And I think the pressures of being an SEO where your job is entirely based on performance um, all the time, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that that can lead to mental health, mental health issues. Uh, so I think it's an important discussion to have and an, an, an important discussion to attempt to tackle. Um, not going to say we are mental health experts. We're not, um, but we have experience. Uh, I know myself personally, and I don't want to speak for uh, Natalie and Jeff, but I've, I've gone through plenty of mental health uh, battles in, in my life. So um, I'm sure that I'll have some, some good stories uh, when it comes to, um, comes to the, the end of the episode. So stick around if you want to uh, hear that component of the discussion. But without further ado, uh, the first stool of the podcast is background. So Natalie, um, talk us through your, your background. Who are you? How did you get into, into SEO? What are, what are you doing today? Kind of what, what got you into the industry? Well, um, this is a really interesting one, and it's it's something that um, that I'm actually finding is is starting to become a lot more common. Um, so, my my um, background is that I started off. Um, I did a degree at university in marketing, um, but I didn't want to go straight into marketing myself. Um, so. I then ended up doing a postgraduate diploma qualification um, in business education and I taught for seven years. So I taught 11 to 16 year old children. Um, I taught them business studies and I taught them ICT, which for those who are outside of the UK is basically computer studies. Um, so I did that for seven years and um, then I moved on to SEO. So I, I, I started a, an internship um, with a local company in Worthing called Fresh Egg. They're, a, they're an agency. Um, did an internship there and then, yeah, began, began my career. Um, it was a, it's, a, it's an interesting one because obviously um, I, I went from marketing to teaching back to marketing. Um, but it, it all kind of fell into place. Um, that's, that's how I've started out. Um, I started out in an agency um, and I have just finished my first in-house job. 
um, which has been, a, you know, a bit of a bit of an interesting one. Um, and then, yeah, I've been I'm now a consultant. So I, I have a, um, a, a kind of hybrid job at the moment that I consult within a within a parental parental company um, where we have a number of different sites that I then I have my own sites that I own and then I consult on other sites within the business so it's a yeah it's a really interesting one um, from from where I started out as a as a you know budding teacher um, and definitely what we're speaking about later about mental health played a massive part into my career change from teaching to um, to, to moving into marketing so when I was teaching and the teachers over in the UK um, they work very very hard and very very long hours but for very little pay so the pay isn't amazing um, obviously it's a rewarding job but when you're working 60 plus hours a week there's there's a line that has to be crossed and I crossed that line um, and it was best for my health to find something else find a different career um, and my skill set matched um, SEO. One of my friends worked at a local agency. Um, I discussed with her in the pub. I said, what do you think? Do you think I would be a really good match for your, for your kind of career? And she said, I, I think you'd be perfect. So then I wrote to lots of different agencies in the area. And uh, the guys at Fresh Egg, I went in on the Thursday. Um, my whole story of that is quite a, quite a, weird one so I went in on the Thursday I got offered the internship that day um, that weekend I then left uh, my partner that I was then living with um, and then on the Monday I started my internship so it was completely completely different life change I was changing my life um, changing my job changing my career changing my where I lived and obviously I, I'd left a partnership that obviously wasn't working out for me so it was a complete new slate that is that is quite the whirlwind, uh, especially when when you talk about kind of that compressed time frame where all of those um, really um, really big and significant life events um, happened. Mm, definitely, yeah. definitely. So my wife, um, she has been a teacher. Um, I think it's thirteen years, thirteen years now, and uh, I would say that my experience, kind of watching her kind of go through it. It's, it's, it's not just teachers in the UK that are massively, massively underpaid. Mm. Um, teachers Indeed. in the US are massively, massively underpaid. And I would say every day of the week, my wife makes um, it, her, her week just generally is so much harder than, than mine. Um, mm. So much harder. And she works not only more, I think she works harder just as a result of the industry that she's in. Um, I think as a teacher, she tends to, because she teaches, uh, she taught uh, for many years kindergarten and for many years inner city um, here in Ohio, uh, Columbus, Ohio, uh, inner city. And some of the stories that she brought home to me were on uh, almost like, I, I don't even know the best way to describe them other than like completely believable and yet unbelievable. Everything that you would anticipate and expect about inner city verse and 
still at the same time, like, I can't believe that these, these kids or, or, or these parents or, or these families or whatever, or this school district or the school or whatever are going through some of the stuff. And I think as a teacher, the natural tendency is to, um, because you want to, you want to teach, you want to uh, support, uh, you know, the students in your, in your class. And uh, the tendency is to take on uh, some of those burdens onto onto yourself and to kind of feel and really relate to what they're uh, going through. And sometimes that baggage comes, comes home as well. Definitely. Uh, definitely. Yeah. 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 To be going through all of that and to then have the extra components of all of the extra work that you have to do. Like I don't know a teacher who doesn't always work on the weekends and everybody says, Oh, um, and I don't know how it is in the UK, but Oh, they get the summers off. Uh, well, let me tell you, they get the summers off uh, because basically they're working 60 hour weeks in the, when school is in season. Uh, and not only that, when they're not technically putting time on the clock, they're still doing, still doing work um, for yeah. many years. Uh, my wife, worked way, 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 way more than me for less pay. Um, and, and like, I don't want to get into like the pay discussion, but substantially less pay. And I was like, mm -hmm. it's really garbage, but at the same time, it's heavily regulated. I don't know of like how big unions are over there, but unions here um, make, make it so that teacher pay and everything is heavily regulated. Um, so in, in one respect, that's good because like in 10 years we're going to know exactly how much she's making yeah. uh, but at the same time there's there's no even if you were the best of the best teacher um, yep. there's no way that you're going to make more money because it is so regulated and not only that like they have to continue to go back to school uh, yeah. it's insane like for their entire lives teachers are constantly going back to school and having to pay for ongoing education and having to bend to different laws as they kind of change and, um, and evolve. So like, believe me, when you say I had to get out of teaching because it was affecting my mental health, that is a discussion that uh, my, my wife and I have had many, many times. Yeah. It's just, it's funny that you bring that up. And we have had friends who were also teachers that got out uh, because it is such a hard job and it was affecting yeah not just their mental health, but things like their marriage. Yeah, uh, definitely. Leads into all kinds of, all kinds of different, um, different areas. So. So, so both my brothers, my mom, and then my brother's wife were all teachers. Um, my oldest brother got out of teaching. He works now for University of Washington um, in one of their research departments, but not, not teaching. Um, my other brother moved up and is now a vice principal, um, which again, I think you even work more hours because you, you don't get those times off and you're managing all the teachers, which is my, my brother's wife is actually an English teacher. My mom's retired now, but uh, I, that's all I hear all day long is teacher stories. And, and you know, it, it, from one way I'm like, I look at it, it's like, you know, I, in the, at least in the United States, like the, the government kind of, reg, not regulates, but kind of like sets the agendas, but there's just so many more hours that are involved in, you know, first of all, it's like, if you really care for your students, a lot of times you have 60 of them. How can you care for 60 people? Right. And I, I feel like um, the schools in the United States um, really leave some, like we have a no child left behind policy, but I yeah, think that same. in, yeah, but in general, I feel like it's just, we push people that 
maybe aren't ready for things. And, and it's really hard. Like I went to high school with almost a thousand people in my grade. <laughs> um, wow. like, how, like how do you teach like, yeah, like 35 to 40 kids in a class, like as teachers, they're just tired at the end of the day. So I, I, I felt like I was one of the, the students that like did not get the best out of school. And I don't necessarily blame teachers. I blame like, just like the system in general. Um, and it actually really got my education out of school um, when I got out of there and, and um, really understand now, like back in high school, I might've thought teachers were the problem. Now I realize <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no, they, they're fighting an uphill battle all the time. And they're also, uh, you know, I, I see them at the end of the day, the grading papers at 11 o'clock at night and, and things like that, where as a, as a SEO, I'm like, can we automate this? <laughs> isn't, there a, isn't there a way to like right. just put the paper in there and, and, you know, it grades it and we just make sure the grades right. But, uh, but no, I mean, it's, you got to read everything and, you know, understand each kid where the kid's coming from, understand their background. And, and then next year you have a whole set of new kids and it's really like, I, I can see how it's just tiring and, and, Jake, when you were talking about like hearing some of the stories, especially like on the inner cities, it's like a lot of it's heartbreaking. And then you're dealing with people's home lives and now you're their, their psychologist on top of their, you know, teacher on top of their mentor and you want to inspire. And it's really tough to, to inspire sometimes. It is. And I, I have nothing but respect for teachers. And I would say like even my hardest day as an SEO cannot pale in comparison to most of their. Agreed. Easy- these days yes, definitely so to put that to to put it in in, in perspective um i think one one question i would ask is it seems seems like um now you you had the intern you had the internship um but i would i would want to know what it's like to kind of go from one career which is on one end of the spectrum into digital marketing and in seo and kind of how that felt um you 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 know mentioned having talked to um, your friend and um your friend had mentioned hey i think that you'd be kind of suited for this job um what do you think made you well suited to handle that transition and how did you handle that transition to kind of polar opposites on the career spectrum um it's a it's a funny one i think as a person, I'm quite adaptive anyway. Um, so I, I was, a, I'm pretty adaptive, but I'm also, I was, it, it was, it, the, what was fueling me was me being completely fed up. <laughs> um, and I was just desperate for the change. Um, obviously, I'd been used to when I, when I worked, when I was younger, um, and I was doing my degree, I'd worked in offices, especially with my mum, um, so she worked for a travel company and I went to work um, at the company that she worked for. She worked in the call center as a manager. And then I worked in the kind of the, the more admin side. Um, and I worked a little bit with the marketing team. So I had a little bit of office, office experience, um, but it all seemed to, it was all a, all a little bit uh, of a, of a complete change because obviously it's agency. Um, over here in the UK, we, um, we used to have a TV show called Nathan Barley. Um, it's a, it's a comedy show and it's based on a kind of an, an agency, a creative agency where everyone's on space hoppers and scooters and they all wear trendy clothes. And everyone joked to me, especially a lot of my old teacher friends, and I were just like, oh, you're going to be like Nathan Barley now that you're working at a marketing agency. Um, and yeah, I thought 
I thought it was quite funny. Um, it was a little bit like that, but not quite. Obviously, we had a couple of office dogs who were running around. We had beers on a Friday. We had a call office and you know people coming and going, really cool art and all the tech that you wanted and a gym inside the office and things like that. And I was, you know, pretty thrown back. Um, but at the end of it, you know, I was pretty pretty geared up because I'd, I'd been blogging before and when I started my internship I was working as an SEO copywriter rather than an SEO and I took it as a as a learning experience as well so I made sure that I paired up paired myself up with people in the team that were really knowledgeable and that were really up for helping me out and kind of skilling myself up not just for obviously the copywriting side but developing my skills wider and seeing exactly what I was interested in. So we've actually had, uh, so you're the first teacher I think we've had, um, but we've had a fair amount of people that have come from either copywriting or combo uh, journalism and then copywriting uh, backgrounds. And mm -hmm. one of the quotes that has stood out to me from uh, one of my former colleagues, Margie Stahl, um, over at uh, Razorfish and Rosetta, they used to be uh, there companies now merge together, um, is that it is a lot easier to train and teach copywriters to become SEOs than it is to train an SEO to become a copywriter. And as a copywriter, I don't know what your, your thoughts on that would be. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. Um, from my team that I just finished managing. Um, so I had, um, what I was looking for when I was hiring new members of staff, I was talking to a couple of my friends this morning on Twitter about what do I look for um, or what did I look for when I was bringing in a new intern. And out of everything, I think obviously things like fitting in with the team and having a passion for learning are, are massive things. But if you're working on a very copy heavy um, job, then obviously you need good writers. And if, if a good writer is keen on learning, then you can train them up to be a, a, a good SEO. Um, it's having that thirst for learning. But yeah, definitely, I think looking at copywriter versus a technical SEO, I think, yeah, definitely a SEO will find it less easy to train as a copywriter. I'm not going to say that every SEO is going to be finding it hard. Um, but I think writing definitely comes as a, it's more of a talent than a skill. Um, I'm sure a lot of people would tell me that that's wrong, but um, having a way with words is, I find, is definitely something that that be it is quite difficult to learn, and it takes a while to learn. Yeah. Versus, um, you know, being able to to understand the more technical side of things. Yeah, no, as someone who is not a great writer, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I, I I try. I mean, I've tried to. Um, you know, I, I write everything down and I QA it 600 times and pull out the thesaurus and it is, it is very uh, like time, you know, intensive when I'm trying to write something um, compared to, I, I watch other people who can just write something, not the first time, but pretty much their first, their first pass at it is like my eighth pass at something. <laughs> um, but it, like, I think it's one of those where if you have the passion for it with anything, right. If you have the passion for writing, it just comes way more natural to you compared to um, I, I have more of a fear of writing. So it, it makes it way harder to, to do it. So. Yeah. Jeff, uh, to, to quote Napoleon dynamite, your meta descriptions are the worst. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, it's about as far as I can write is meta descriptions. After that, it's don't I don't want to write all pages. I'll write titles and metas, but that's funny. So, uh, so Natalie, we always have to ask for people that have been on both sides of the of the house, um, agency versus versus in house. And I, it, at some point, I would love to go back and tabulate the um, the responses to see kind of where people <laughs> where people lie with their with their preferences. But want to add another resp- re- response to I guess the ongoing questionnaire of agency versus in house, which is which is better. <laughs> well. Actually, it's, it's quite funny because last month I did a, uh, it was my first talk actually, and it was a talk on agency versus in-house SEO, uh, um, Blue Array's uh, Reading SEO over here in the UK. Um, and it's, it's just a constant thing. When I was at the Brighton SEO speaker training yesterday, again, the topic came up, in-house versus agency SEO, because obviously a, a few of us have made the jump recently. Um, I, I don't want to say the whole, you know, the, the stereotype of it depends, but I think it's, it varies on the size of the company that you work for, the size of the agency and what you actually do. Um, there's what I found was when I moved into my in-house role. So I moved from uh, a really big agency. So I worked at iCrossing. I worked for a small agency for a small amount of time. And then I moved in house and um, I was the only person who knew about SEO in the, in the company when I first joined, I hadn't been doing any SEO. I was the only person that knew about it. I was hired to number one, fix the site. Um, and number two, set up the strategy and grow the team uh, to, to then obviously take things forward. And we, we've seen a massive amount of growth, obviously implementing all of that strategy but it's not always that way. So you might join a a massive multinational company and be part of a 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 person team that's, that's all over the world. Um, And you might only be doing one or two things and have a massive dev queue to, to deal with. Um, So yeah, it's for me, I I think I found the right in-house role for me. Um, and some people I think will struggle going from the agency side to the in-house number one, cause there's, there's loads of responsibility. Um, and also that there's, there's so much that you need to do pretty much on your own. Um, you, a lot of the time you'll be hired because you are cheaper than, than spending money on an agency. Um, but that means that you have to do everything that the agency will do. Um, so it might be that you're not always doing SEO. So for under my remit, the whole of the customer acquisition strategy came on, fell under me, which is fine because that's, I, I was completely comfortable with doing that, but not everyone is. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's more about finding the right role for you rather than an agency or agency versus in-house. So I, I apologies. I can't give a clear question. It's a, you know, the SEO stereotype, um, but yeah, um, it depends, yeah. I do, uh, yeah, it does depend. Just like an SEO trying to ride the fence. Oh, my <laughs> <God>. <laughs> oh yeah. Now I feel like I've talked about this um, at nauseum before. I, 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 I agree um, that it, it highly depends on the, the person I have found for myself that I'm more of an agency person. Um, I think I like the, 
variability. Um, I like the, the fact that you can switch gears often. Um, I found that it is nice uh, from a camaraderie standpoint to be able to have other people that kind of understand you, meaning other um, SEOs that you work with and you can bounce ideas off of. Um, I like the range of clients that we, you know, have the opportunity to work with. Um, and there's, if you don't like one client you're working with, well, guess what? There's always a different client coming around the corner because yeah. in agency world, and that is one of the stressful things. There is a lot of flux um, in agency agency world. Um, on the in-house side, um, I, 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 there were parts of it that I, that I really, really liked, um, especially the idea that you had, one or just a handful of sites that you had to focus on and you got to focus on them all the time. Um, and it was really nice to be able to get up and in my case and go talk to the developer and sit right over their shoulder and show them exactly what needs to happen. Whereas on the agency side, it's, you know, you're constantly cutting red tape or you're passing over implementation recommendations, but you're never actually doing them yourself. And implementation is probably the biggest biggest single issue on the agency side that you face because it's really hard to get other people to do uh, to do the things that you need them to do um, and to do them right. Um, but on the in-house side for me, I, I never cared. Well, I liked the, the ability to go more broadly than SEO and in every in-house role that I've ever had, um, there, there was definitely responsibilities that fell outside of SEO. I mean, in the, in the last role, I was managing social media, um, doing, uh, you know, website pop-up strategy, those annoying pop-ups, but they actually, (laughs) they're really annoying, but they, they actually worked. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, and everybody in the company said, man, that, that is, that pop-up is really annoying. And I'm like, yeah, I know you're right, but it makes us money. So we're going to keep doing it um, in just a variety of a variety of other things. But the, the, the biggest thing that I didn't like is because I was the only one doing, doing SEO or doing the SEO, um, nobody else, the, there was nobody else to talk to, nobody to relate to. Um, and, that, and that became very difficult to me in terms of kind of feeling alone within the, within the company. And some people operate better than I did in, in that scenario. So like, that's, that, that's a a great segue into kind of the, the mental health aspect that we're going to um, talk about later, because that for me led to some serious, serious uh, depression. So anyways, yeah. So I tend to find that I'm an agency person. Um, I just, I tend to do better in agencies and I don't, Jeff, I don't, I mean, Jeff, you've been in you know, a bunch of different, bunch of different roles. I can't remember where yeah. you fall out on that. I've never been in house though. I've always been agency oh. life. And, and it, it's interesting because I just, ever, ever since I kind of went to my first agency, been in this a long time. So uh, dot com, before the, the dot com bust, uh, when we were in the boom, it was like a really fun industry, right? People were just spending money like crazy in, we know what happened after that. They all went out of business, but um, I think that, I still kind of chase the, the dragon on that sometimes where it's like the, the agencies were always fun, even though it was like work hard, play hard. Um, it, the play hard part I really enjoyed. <laughs> um, I mean, I enjoy working hard also, but at the same time it was like you were able, I think there was a lot more community, a lot more like feeling like family because we would all come up and, and 
in, in agencies, a lot of times we work together really to, to solve some really tough problems. And from there we you know get some great results. Um, I see a lot of in-house, like they might have that family feeling in-house, but uh, it seems like things might take a little longer or things are a little slower. Um, and, and that's one thing that kind of kept me away from there. But I think it is, comes down to all the right companies, right? There's, if you're at a company where you're the only one doing SEO, um, then that could be a problem. Or I see a lot of in-house jobs where you are labeled like the, the web guy, right? So you do everything, um, which I kind of do enjoy that aspect, but it's like, oh, our email's broken, you know, Jake, go fix our email. And it's like, why do SEO? Well, isn't it all the same? You just do stuff like that. <laughs> um, so I think that happens a lot more in-house, um, depending on the size. Now, if you work for Amazon.com in-house, <laughs> I am sure you uh, you can be a specialist and like you could be the tech SEO guy there. But at the same, at a smaller, you know, in-house job, you're probably going to wear many, many hats, which is, you know, which is appealing to some some people and, and to some others it's not, so. So Jeff, it's funny that you you mentioned like all of the different responsibilities you have. Uh, in at an in-house role, I had um, before I joined Rosetta, I was working for a group of car dealerships, which I might add is about everything you would anticipate in terms of working <laughs> for a car dealership. It was just cl- the cliche of all cliches, but. Um, because they didn't know exactly what I did, they confused marketing guy also with IT guy. So the, yes. very, Fix my computer. Guy, the very first thing they asked me to do on my first day, set up this massive like industrial printer. I had no clue. <laughs> and I was like, I think I'm in the wrong place uh, on my first day. And I was like, great. This is my first day at this company and they completely don't understand what I do and they're making me set up a printer, which is not, I'm so bad at any IT work. So definitely not my, not my work. <laughs> oh, so Natalie, I've got a couple more questions before we, um, before we go into, into the, the news. Um, so you've been a, you've been now a consultant. Uh, well, actually it looks like you've just started as a, as kind of a full-time consultant. Um, yeah. What, what made you kind of want to make uh, that jump? And I would ask kind of what are the different challenges that you face as, uh, as an independent consultant versus being in-house or at an agency somewhere? So it's a, it's a funny one because um, so the way that I'm employed, <laughs> um, I, I'm, an, I'm a consultant, but I, it's a kind of in-house role as well. Um, so I mainly work, I do have, you know, additional clients but my main client will like pays my salary um which is great <laughs> i think it's um for someone like me i didn't want to take the massive step into being completely fully freelance and completely independent um and and to be able to have been offered the opportunity to have a main client that I then don't have to worry about everything else. Um, I feel incredibly lucky to, to have been given that opportunity. And then if I want to do additional work, then I can do that. Um, and yeah, I, I've, I've been incredibly lucky to, to have been given that, that opportunity by my main client to, to do that. Um, I do have a couple of main projects that I work on within for that client, but then I do consult on other things. So for example, this week, like we were saying with the different, you might not be doing SEO. So this week, obviously I've, I've been there for two and a half weeks now and I've, I've been doing my audits and my strategies and everything for, for the sites that I'm responsible for. However, I've been taken on, um, onto another, onto another site 
where I'm helping with the display campaigns because I'm the only one uh, at the moment who can help with those. So I'm going in and analyzing the data and optimizing their campaigns and making sure that the placements are the correct placements and which ones are working and which ones are not. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one though. It's, I think the, the steps that I've taken, the, I've taken quite a big plunge as well. I say that I've taken the safe route where I've got one main, main client that pays my salary and then the additional ones. Um, however, I've also gone remote. So going from working in-house in the office all the time with my team and then going completely independent, well, kind of completely independent, not fully independent, but working in my own home, in my own little office. Um, it's a strange one. Um, obviously, there's an amazing community online. Um, so I talk to my group of specific group of SEO friends that I have. Um, we have a group chat and everything, which is really nice. Um, I have set, you know, specific friends um, and the Women in Tech SEO um, Slack channel has been a goldmine for just chatting to people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting one so far. It's only been a couple of weeks, so I'm not, you know, 100% sure on how it's going to pan out for the future. Um, but that's where I am now. Yeah, so I guess I guess the way I'm I'm interpreting that is in, in I interpret it this way because we have someone on our team that kind of does uh, the same thing. So you're you're almost like a contractor. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that that makes a lot more a lot more sense, and that's kind of like I see it as kind of the toe in in the water, uh, so to speak, for eventually uh, going out and being kind of fully independent. But I too am one of those people that have stayed in agency and and in-house life because I, I don't want to, and I, and I've thought about making the jump to becoming a contractor, but I don't want to have like a massive gap in, uh, you know, with things like salary where you, Mm. you have the risk of not being paid and not being able to, you know, pay your bills and do, do whatever you need to do uh, financially. And that's just been a risk that I've not personally been willing to, to take. So I definitely uh, empathize there uh, with the, with the approach. Um, So the other thing I wanted to ask about is uh, a little bird told me that you're speaking at Brighton SEO and you just mentioned speaker training. So uh, what are you talking about? And, um, I, what are you, I guess, looking forward to? I don't know if you've done speaking uh, a lot in the public. So uh, I guess just talk us through that. Yeah, so um, my talk is going to be on um, punching above your weight. So basically what it is, is uh, how you can c- compete with the big guys. Um, so what, as I mentioned before, when I first st- first started my just the role that I just left, um, there was no one there that that was really doing any SEO. Um, and there was so much opportunity. Um, the site had so many pages. Uh, they offered a great product, but they just weren't performing that well. Um, and yeah, the, the, the thing with the travel industry that I found in particular is that the big players or who you would see as the big players, uh, aside from people like Expedia and Skyscanner and the meta searches, um, a lot of the, the airlines themselves, they don't do SEO or they don't do it well. Um, so there was a massive opportunity to, to create content and to obviously compete with people like Delta um, with Virgin, with those massive airlines 
and yeah glean a bit of their traffic um and that's what we did <laughs> um so it's basically helping people that are, that are in smaller agencies who have small clients and small budgets and and having a look and seeing what they can do to to kind of compete with the big names and also if you're if you're in-house then how how can you compete with those big guys because what i see on twitter and linkedin and in within publications is a lot of people will sing and dance about the big guys and say how amazing and brilliant they are they're not always amazing and brilliant at seo um we all know that and yeah just looking at the opportunities that those smaller companies can can do to, like, all of the different things that they can do to take advantage of that um and there's there's yeah there's just so many so many different things so hopefully it will be a little bit helpful a little bit inspirational and there'll be something for people to kind of take back to the office and think okay what can we do as a as a company with our small budget that will actually help us um because yeah. of yeah because all we had was the stuff all, all the budget that we had um at alternative airlines was staff and even then it was you know it was a bit bit tricky to to actually bring on new members of staff yeah it's interesting so so a couple of thoughts, a couple of thoughts. Um, I, I was thinking of the old analogy uh, where people are running from a, from a bear, right? You don't have to run as fast as the fastest guy. You just got to run faster than the guy next to you. Exactly. <laughs> uh, right. So in that'll still, that'll, there's still lift uh, involved there. And I think you're absolutely right with the bigger that the company gets, uh, the more complex and the more red tape, is involved and they sometimes don't have the best SEO strategy in place and they get by because they're a massive, massive brand and they've got all kinds of other signals uh, coming in that make up for that. But as a smaller brand, you definitely have uh, the advantage of being uh, hopefully uh, a little bit more nimble and maybe a little bit better at execution um, so there's no harm in being second place or third place or fourth place if you're in 10th, 11th, 12th, or, you know, whatever the case may, may be. Um, there are still opportunities there. And I do love your, uh, your presentation uh, title, Punching Above Your Weight, and it reminded yeah. me of um, an algorithm, Jeff, that you created where you pulled together um, all of the um, – uh, presentation names and dynamically kind of mash them together into, into <laughs> like a presentation name picker. Um, and I, Jeff, just throw that one into into your. Into oh yeah. <laughs> we always said when we when we went into into partnerships. Um, so we worked with a lot of different partner brands such as PayPal, Affirm, Klarna, um, a lot of the kind of you know the massive massive payment options. And uh, one of them once said to us, it's like, you guys are really small and it looks like you're punching above your weight. But when you look at the stats, that's where you, that's where you guys shine. And it's like, yeah, exactly. That it, it completely made sense. And I, I had to put that in there. Now I'm curious as to what, like, I'm sure that there's like a, a, a presentation, um, uh, your, your, your slide intro image. And I'm picturing like a, 
I guess maybe not a Mike Tyson because Mike Tyson in his time was kind of a badass, but I'm, I, I don't even know what you might be using as a, as a slide presentation title, but I'm picturing some sort of a, some sort of a boxer or maybe like a David versus Goliath or something. <laughs> oh, there's, there's nothing like that at all in mine. Oh, it's going to no. be a little bit of a surprise. It's going to have to stay tuned. Um, yeah, okay. you're just going to have to see. So Jeff, what is in the news? Cool. So one of the big things uh, coming out of SMX was that the that other search company, Bing, um, you know, who stole the name Webmaster Tools, made Google change <laughs> to Search Console, <laughs> is now updating their Webmaster Tools. Um, and, I, you know, I think, I don't know how far they are along right now. Um, I, I actually linked into it with some of our accounts and, and was going through it. And it, you know, looks sort of like, Google search console to some parts um, where we have like the graph on top and, you know, clicks, impressions, click through rates, um, and then like the list of keywords or something underneath it. So um, it looks like they're, they're updating it and it's, you know, it looks nice. It looks a lot cleaner. It looks a lot like um, the, the old Bing Webmaster tools. It was one that I always liked because it had a lot more information or a lot of different information, but Google has really been stepping up recently on theirs. Um, but on the on Bing's webmasters, um, I guess they call it webmaster tool. I don't know if it's web or just webmaster anymore or something like that. <laughs> um, but they the new ones they give you like a search performance report where, like I said, we have the clicks and pages. Um, I only see six months worth of data, which is one thing I know we always complain about with Google Search Console. So hopefully they upgrade that to where um, where Google's at now. I think Google's what at sixteen months now, so it's you get a little bit more than a year over year data on that. Um, but, but in general, I think Bing's in its, you know, is working on cleaning it up and, and making it look a little nicer. So Jeff, maybe I'm, I, I feel kind of stupid because I've, <laughs> I looked at our, our company's Bing Webmaster Tools account and I cannot figure out how to see the new version. And I was just like, oh, maybe they haven't rolled it out fully to, uh, so yeah. So I, I got it from the search engine Roundtable um, article on it. There was a link in there that said, you know, you can play with it with this, using this link. So um, You're sneaky. it's a, it's actually, the, the link itself is, is pretty small. So it's aka.ms forward slash new BWT for Bing Webmaster Tools. And then that'll get you to the new, to the new version. And it, again, it's like when the new search console came out where there was like one report or two reports and everyone's like, this thing stinks. And it's like, they're just starting it. <laughs> so that's kind of what's happening right now. Where Bing, there's the three reports, there's search performance, there's sitemaps, and there's backlinks. Um, and, and some of them have decent data. They, they kind of look like Search Console's data. Um, but at the same time, they're not. Uh, I don't see a way to compare. So I can't compare like the last three months to the three months before that. It just gives me one month, three months, or six months worth of data. Um, so I'm guessing those are things that they will be adding in there soon because of course we always want to compare. Uh, I mean, it, it's good to see the last six months, but I'd love to be able to see the last, you know, 16 months or 18 months to, to be able to kind of do a bigger comparison. You're doing six months over the six months before that would be great. Um, or six months over the six months of last year. But at the same time, I think they're, they're in the right direction um, and they're, they're going to start doing it kind of like the way search console did it. So Natalie, I want to. I also want to get your thoughts on on kind of the new, the maybe Bing in general, but the new Webmaster Tools. But I'm scrolling through Twitter and looking at some of the different screenshots that are that are coming out 
And two things stand out to me. One, um, it does look a lot like Google Search Console. And um, I, I would hope, and I think that maybe Bing probably needs to clear some minimum level of viability in terms of the basic tools that they offer. And I think that they tried to do this with the previous Search Console where they had things in there that were very unique to their version uh, or their previous version of Webmaster Tools, I'm sorry, uh, that were very unique to, um, to them that Google Search Console did not do. And I would hope that once they kind of lay the base of kind of the foundational stuff that you need as a webmaster, that they have things that are going to make them stand out and differentiate. Otherwise, this is just like a mini, a light version of Search Console, which I would hope is a business that they don't want to be. But then again, maybe I guess there's no harm in being, um, being number two. Um, the other thing that stood out to me, and this is like file this under weird things, is uh, Barry Schwartz uh, shared uh, Search Engine Roundtable's uh, search performance report, and he shared the keywords. And the first two keywords that come up are porn keywords. Oh, and, nice. Yeah. And I'm like, how <laughs> on earth is Search Engine Roundtable getting their highest, it, it looks like their highest number of impressions and click-throughs yeah. porn keywords. So if you've seen like Barry's screenshot, maybe you didn't notice that. Maybe he knows it. I don't know. I was just like, well, that's, that's weird. <laughs> it's funny because I saw that screenshot and didn't really look yeah. Yeah. at the data itself. <laughs> Well, I'm scrolling through and I look at it and I'm like, does that say porn, porn, porn hub? And okay. All right. I guess it does. Okay. Good. Good job. Maybe, maybe he's trying to do what my good friend Mark Rove does with his screenshots to get people to look further. Yeah. (laughs) At the moment, what he's been doing has been uh, obviously putting things up on TikTok about digital PR. So um, they the the agency that he works for at the moment, Rise at Seven. They've been testing out TikTok and been sharing digital PR tips. And when he's done his and he's shown his laptop, there's always been like how to find a girlfriend, which obviously has led into his whole date mark um, website (laughs) campaign. But uh, at the same time, it's maybe, maybe Barry's trying to get, you know, a little bit more attention and getting people to kind of ask, ask those questions, get a little bit more cheeky engagement. You never know. Yeah. What's going on over there at search engine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And I find Mark um, and I think it, it's funny, the company he works for, um, I would love to have them on, by the way, because they seem to do an amazing job with some of their PR uh, PR campaigns. And they're, I feel like, a relatively new on the scene sort of um, sort of agency and very, uh, very much up and coming. And I'd be very interested to pick their pick their brain on what I feel like is uh, in our case, like we tend to lean towards technical and content and they're more mm. PR and offsite promotion. And that um, is a very, in my opinion, gray uh, area uh, of SEO, but can be incredibly, incredibly impactful. So they mm-hmm. seem like some of the best in the business at doing it. And I would love to talk to them about more than just Mark's billboard, but yeah, <laughs> they're a great bunch of they're a great bunch of people. Really lovely people, and very very yeah, very clever. And I think with them as well, it's they ha- they offer the the creative side and the the yeah. content and the link building. But they also have um, they also have Steve Kemright and they also have Matt. The two of those two as on the technical side are, are really winning it as well. 
Yeah, they, it's funny. They, I mean, they're so good at it that we've managed to turn a news item about the launch of Bing Webmaster Tools into into a, them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, like what is it? Seven levels of Kevin Kevin Bacon, except with rise at seven. Yeah, the the rise at seven <laughs> factor. Right. So, Jeff, what else? Is, what else is in the news? So there was actually a discussion on Twitter uh, between Russ Jones and Danny Sullivan and. Um, you know, Russ asked, you know, just in general, asking Google. So when you're looking at an EAT score, what are you actually looking for? Like, ultimately, what if we're looking at a score in general, what kind of metrics or what kind of you know, KPI should we be measuring to? And uh, I like Danny's response. And I think it was one of those where uh, he came out and said, you know, our systems aren't looking for eat like they're they're they don't have this it's kind of like page rank i guess i think page rank used to exist at least but they're they're not looking at it as much but they want all their signals to um i think the way he put it is like there's so many different signals that we want to make sure they align with what a good human eat assessment would be um so the idea is like even though there's not an uh, like an eat score they're trying to have their algorithm kind of aligned to an EAT score without actually having the EAT score. Um, so in a way, it's like confirming without confirming. But at um, the other end of that, it's like I, I tell all my clients this, and, and though EAT is like a, a terminology and SEOs love to, you know, put in, you know, kind of three-letter things because we are SEO. <laughs> um, you know, I, I always tell my clients, like, that we want to be, like, more of experts and, you know, and be more trustworthy because, uh, that's great for customers. And I think that's where it comes down to is like, if a customer thinks that we're shady, then so is Google. And if the customer thinks we are kind of an authoritative source on what we are looking for, then it'll, it'll be good overall. Um, but then Russ followed up. It's like, cause he mentioned what a good human eat assessment would be. Um, so we knew Google has people who look through search results and listings to see if they have, there is a human element to training their algorithm. So they were, he was wondering if the, you know, the people who are training the algorithms were thinking of eat while they kind of train it. And Danny says, you know, it's not like that. Raider data doesn't go directly into the algorithm system. So um, I think there's a, there's a lot, you know, we don't know what's going on in Google. I think there's a lot going on that's, uh, like they're, they're trying to become the, you know, the get you the data that you want best. So um, I think this is just a lot of kind of the inside talkings and the way, you know, Danny now talks like kind of around things and not directly at it. Um, I think it is an interesting topic there, even though there isn't an eat score, I think it's still something that we should kind of not strive to, to be, but you know, for all our clients, we just, we don't want to give them junk and Google's trying not to show junk. And I think that's where eat comes into place. Yeah, Danny's, uh, he's, he's, uh, the dark side is, is growing. He's joined the evil empire and the dark yeah. side is growing darker day by day by day, uh, where <laughs> you're like at search engine land, like his goal was transparency and honesty and getting the, the information. And now that he's on the Google side, everything's got to come through some sort of a filter. But I think that the thing, the thing that sticks out to me about this discussion, and I don't know about you guys, but like anytime I see it, I just want to eat a sandwich. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and for, for me that I, I joke, right. I joke. It just, it makes me hungry. Right. But at the same yeah. time, like when I hear stuff like this, like I, I file it under um, stuff that is long-term 
important, but that doesn't impact my day-to-day very, very much because I feel like a lot of my clients have more basic problems than EAT, E-A-T. Um, yeah. and not to say that um, that stuff is not important. And I actually, I mean, who am I to disagree with Google, right? Um, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to like go on record and be skeptical that this, uh, that they're not training. How could they not be training the algorithm? Why? I mean, right. it's, it's like structured data or meta descriptions, right? They say they don't impact your rankings, right? Okay. Well, maybe they make people click on your result, which probably impacts your rankings over the course of, over the course of time, because that's an indication of, of, uh, yeah. it, quality right um so like i i guess why go through the the pro okay and maybe there is no eat score right Mm -hmm. i assume that that's correct but your quality raters are doing something right they're looking for something they're training the algorithm as they go through they are training the algorithm and one of the things that is clearly clearly on their mind according to google's documentation is eat now, maybe it's not as simple as, hey, they push a button on this website and it automatically trains, uh, you know, trains the, the algorithm to say that this website has more EAT because there isn't more EAT. But like when you think of the long term ramifications of having you know, human quality raters, of course that they're doing something right. like that. And of course, down the stream, it is integrating the the comprehensive um, uh, analysis that they're doing down the stream into the algorithm may not be a straight a to b but it's certainly an a to b to c to d right like that's what makes sense to me and maybe i'm just a a stupid human that doesn't understand you know computers and (laughs) But you're training the algorithm too, right? When you go through and you click on what you, you know, and this is where people think Google, like they favor big brands. And it's just because we all favor big brands to an extent. If I'm going to buy, you know, I go to Amazon if I'm going to buy something, but it, you know, that's the first place I usually start. And why do I go there? Because I know they have decent customer service. I know that if there's something that goes wrong with the product, they'll stand behind it um, and, and things like that. So they have a lot of my trust worthiness in their site might not be the best price. And, and I think that's where people get confused where they think Amazon's the cheapest and, and they're usually not, but I mean, I pay, we just had a, a little snafu with them the other day where they charge both me and my wife for prime. Um, even though like I have prime and she's under my prime. So um, we called them up surprisingly answered very quickly. Um, I expected to be in like a wait for 30 minutes. Like we were on the phone with them within a minute and they had it all fixed within five minutes and my credit card going back. So it's like things like that, like make me keep going back to, to Amazon and build that trust with them. The one thing Danny did say though, is the Raider data is not going directly into the system. Well, that's what doesn't I mean it's not getting there yet. So it's, mm-hmm. it might be going through another, another means before <laughs> it goes in. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So, so Jeff, when you called Amazon, were you surprised when you found out that Jeff Bezos handles all of their uh, customer interaction? <laughs> he's, uh, he's just a robot. Oh, uh, it would have been amazing. But uh, no, you know what? The funny, I want to the take funny thing is, <laughs> the funny thing is, I couldn't find the phone number to call Amazon on Amazon. Like it is pretty well hidden. They try to make you go through a whole bunch of, you know, QAs and stuff. But if I just typed Google customer service phone number in, or Amazon customer service in Google, it, the number came up as like as a big answer box. 
uh, I was like, awesome. So, like, that's all I wanted was the number, and you cannot find it on Amazon. So, um, hint to anyone who's trying to call Amazon, Google it. So, Natalie, I don't know, like, what do you think about this whole EA, EAT thing? I feel like we just spent the entire time, <laughs> entire time talking and not letting our guests talk at all because this is just what we do. We just yell about things during the news. That's okay. That's okay. So, from my point of view, I guess it's pretty much – it's pretty much an umbrella term I find like an umbrella term for what you should be doing because obviously when you feed everything that we're doing on a day-to-day basis if you put it into the whole expertise authoritativeness trustworthiness it's like well yeah that's exactly what we're meant to be doing or at least on the white hat side that's what you're meant to be doing you're meant to be creating quality content that can be crawled and indexed by search engines and that users trust so whether that's you know acquiring naturally naturally acquiring backlinks or whether that is someone just you know having clicking through from the SERP it it, it just makes sense um whether that yeah like the the whole discussion around whether it's whether it's got its own score or how that's going to pan out in the future who knows but yeah from my point of view it's kind of one of those all-encompassing umbrella terms of what you're meant to be doing and I discussed it with um with one of my execs a few weeks ago when we were thinking he was like well what if someone brings that up when I'm when I'm training someone up or discussing that with an intern and I'm like well just you know just say these are the things that we're that we're kind of aiming towards because yeah it, it, it kind of is that kind of umbrella term or that's how I see it anyway of of what you should in inverted commas be doing it's funny um you know with a lot of our clients looking to us for content strategy recommendations um i really try to explain that you want to be perceived as an authoritative and trusted expert in the space right so like we could be i could have my site and then there could be like webmd and i could be talking about medical advice on my site and WebMD could be talking about the same thing, but because they are a trusted authority, nobody's going to listen to Jake's medical advice, right? And with the, with the, the client and clients that we work on, there are times where they have it in their minds because they're, they're trained by, um, in some cases, content agencies who produce, uh, X amount of pieces per month on a set schedule at 400 words per, per piece. And my first question is always like, why, why, why that many pieces? Why 400 words? What if the particular topic you're trying to rank for requires more depth and more expertise? Um, and there's just never a lot of like rhyme or reason. And it, to share kind of an anecdotal story, this, a particular client once said to me in, in a meeting, like, I don't care what the piece of content is about as long as it brings us traffic and gooses the, the numbers. And I had to stop and say, like, I'm sorry, but I disagree with, disagree with you uh, respectfully because, like, what good is a particular piece of content if it has nothing to do with what you do? And in this case, it really, it wasn't even, like, it wasn't even in the funnel, it was like on Mars in terms of the air conversion, <laughs> conversion funnel. And the discussion that we really have tried to center in on is 
when you're producing content, like you want to figure out a way to produce content that is high quality enough and of an appropriate length, depending on what you're trying to rank for, um, to not just meet the minimum threshold of enough quality to rank, but figure out how you can make it better and how you can use your internal subject matter experts and your authority within the industry and put your unique spin on it that way rather than just, uh, you know, uh, to use their term kind of puking out content everywhere, no matter the, the quality right. or no matter your level of expertise on the particular subject, because you're chasing uh, traffic, you're chasing mm. traffic uh, in vanity metrics. So like that is definitely something for me where, EAT becomes more of a real thing when the rubber sort of meets the meets the road. And even to the extent of going back with some clients and pruning away content that really has no value to their, to their business. And in those cases, they're always like, do we really want to get rid of content? Like, why would we do that? Why would we get rid of content? Why would we get rid of X amount of visits per month? Well, it's because like when you try to consider a search engine's perspective of your site as a whole and the expertise that you hold. Well, I would have to imagine if, if I'm trying to like break it down simply that your expertise is, is div distributed amongst all of the pages that you have on your site, your authority, whatever, whatever magic authority score uh, there is, is, is distributed, maybe not equally, but distributed through your site. And if you take a, and if you take away content that is doing nothing for you and doesn't matter, um, that expertise and authority hopefully gets kind of redistributed uh, to amongst your more important pages that actually do matter. And, and I believe that that used to be called page rank sculpting. Um, and that is not necessarily what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say like no follow certain links on your site or anything like that, but just the idea that, that there is some sort of overall measure of your site's level of expertise and authority that is distributed to all of your content. And the idea that pruning away uh, in va or less valuable or not relevant content, even if it gets traffic uh, that is nowhere near your customer funnel can actually be a valuable tactic. And it, for me, it's worked. Um, it's worked a couple of times. So Definitely. Um, a lot of people think content strategy is just adding more and sometimes it's taking away so that you can improve your overall expertise and not have, uh, you know, two great articles and eight shit ones. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's, th those are my, those are my thoughts. Um, but mostly I still just want to eat a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move into kind of the third leg and, for me, this is the most important uh, leg of the, the episode, and it is um, SEO and uh, mental health. And I do kind of want to, I, I want to share my stories, but I, I want to kind of open up the floor to, um, to you guys. Um, Natalie, I know that it is kind of near and dear to your heart, so I thought mm -hmm. maybe I would let you kind of go, go first and talk about your, your experience in terms of not just how SEO has impacted your mental health because it is broader than that, but in relation to, in relation to SEO, um, I don't know, like what are your thoughts on just kind of mental health as a subject and how it applies to your day-to-day -day life and work? So I think with my, with my, with my, um, my health, it's kind of a multifaceted thing. So 
Um, I'm not sure, like listeners-wise, um, who who's aware, but um, I, on, on my Twitter account, I'm quite. I'm not a hundred percent, you know, always honest and open about my mental health. But you know, if I'm having a bad day, um, or if someone else is having a bad day, then I'm more than happy to to talk about it, or just to say that I'm, you know, I'm having a really rubbish day. I think a lot of the time it's it's making sure that people don't feel like they're alone. We've had over the, over the last few years uh, members of the community who who have sadly passed away from suicide, and it's it's sometimes it can be due to there's you know there's there's loads of things going on in different people's lives, um, but we're 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 quite an interesting group of people and. A lot of the time what we can do, whether it's in the workplace or whether you're a freelancer, whether you're whatever you're doing, sometimes a, a lot of SEOs might might kind of isolate themselves or not feel like they're they're part of a community. I mean, we've got a really strong online community, um, whether it's the different Slack groups that there are available or whether it is Twitter, but there are people who who don't want to be part of that but still feel alone and it's yeah it's a it's a really really tricky one to to kind of figure out because obviously we don't want to to take the place of someone that's that that is a qualified mental health professional but on the same same kind of stages it's you want to be there for your friends for your colleagues you want to know you want them to know that you're not alone that we understand the pressures of the of the role. We previously spoke about the pressures of teaching. That's not to say that SEO doesn't have the pressures. But if you've got a specific deadline to keep to, or if you've got a pitch that you need to keep to, or there's something that's that you need to prepare for devs to push live within a certain time span, you could be working working your socks off and and just just focusing on that and and not giving yourself any time for you and i found that previously that that all i've all i've wanted to do is when when i finish my work is just to go home and do nothing um and it's kind of focusing on what else do we do how do we deal with it how do we look after each other and not just kind of deal with deal with our own shit <laughs> pardon the pardon the language but you know there there are some really really kind of horrible things that people go through in their in their in their day-to-day lives that that we're not aware of and it's it's just making sure that people they don't have to say exactly what's going on but that we get to talk about it um it's so important to me yeah i think um talking about it is incredibly incredibly important and as it relates to seo like yeah there's there is a ton of pressure. It's, is it as bad as teaching in terms of the, the level of pressure? Maybe not. But when you talk about the pressure to perform, um, the pressure to hit a specific deadline or, or in SEO, like public speaking is a, is a pressure or getting up in front of a client when maybe the results aren't what you like or having the client be very tough on you or feeling like in the holidays you have to work weekends um, and sacrifice your, your work-life balance. Um, it's a, it's not an uncommon expectation. And if you let it, um, if you let it kind of, that bus kind of run you over 
um, so to speak, the implications on the, the back end with your, your own balance uh, and your own mental health can be, um, can be pretty bad if you, mm-hmm. if you allow, them, uh, allow them to be. Um, from my, my, my own perspective, I'll just kind of briefly, and if you want to hear like the very, very full version of this, um, I pretty much talked for almost two hours and a lot of it was mental health related in my own introspective episode, which is all the way back at episode 10. Uh, hard to believe that is now 32 episodes ago, which is uh, wow. insane. Um, we've managed to churn out a lot of episodes. Um, but man, uh, so I came up from a, an abusive household, both physically and mentally, and I carried um, a, lot of, a lot of that baggage with me. Um, I even still, I would say, carry that, carry that baggage with me in terms of how it has shaped who I am kind of as a person. Um, but there were many, 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 many years where I um, quite simply did not feel good enough or did not, you know, had a, had a chip on my, my shoulder all the time um, where I took things that weren't personal to me and made them personal to me in terms of um, maybe taking offense to things that I shouldn't have taken offense to or feeling like somebody said something and that was a slight on me. And I know now that that is directly in response to kind of the, the way that I was conditioned um, growing up. And then um, I would say that there have been a couple of uh, a couple of times in in jobs where I've been to the point of being so unhappy that I in, in I also came up as an athlete and and in part of being a being a man especially in the United States culture where sports is like a huge thing there is some level of pressure um, to be tough right and to not admit weakness and um, to never show anybody that you're, you're hurting. Um, And I think that, you know, as we kind of move on in time, that stigma with, you know, the new, new generations getting older is becoming less and less predominant and important. But in, in my time, that was still something that was important. So like those feelings uh, of negativity, like sometimes got pushed down or um, I would never, go to the doctor, for example, to admit that I had some sort of weakness and that I was struggling with my, with my mental health. But probably the most recent example was right before I came to search discovery. Um, so I was uh, at a company at that time, it was called startups.co now startups.com. They've transitioned. Um, before that I was at uh, Rosetta, which then was merged with Razorfish. So by the end of my time there, it was Razorfish. And I had decided to take a job closer to home. Um, startups had recruited me and it was right down the street and it was going from agency to in-house. Uh, and I went in-house with them and I didn't stay there for very long. Um, but I knew on the first day somehow that like it it wasn't uh, it wasn't going to be a fit. Like I just knew as almost as soon as I walked in somehow that I was like something's off here and I, I couldn't put my finger on it right away. And not only that, but coming from the previous job, we had talked a little bit about how agencies can become almost like a family. Uh, and we had a very tight knit team at that time that for me, when I made the transition, I made the transition to benefit my family by being closer to home and making more money, right? Things that are, uh, that should have been really, really meaningful and important. But then when I got there, 
it almost felt like because I went from seeing certain team members and who had, people had, who had become my friends to not seeing them every day to not seeing them or talking to them really at all. It felt like for lack of a better term, like somebody had died. Um, so I went through and I, I don't know if I self-sabotaged the new job or not, but for me, it was almost like a period of mourning the loss of being able to work with the, the great people that I had worked with before. And um, that became really, really difficult, especially as I was ramping up in this new job and a new, totally different culture than what I was used to. And I f found that for whatever reason, the, the people at startups were not, they were plenty nice. Um, there was nothing wrong with them, but I just did not feel like I fit uh, within that culture. And pretty quickly, like it, it, I, I fell into a depression and I didn't know what to do. Um, and I didn't have an answer. And I remember like really clearly one day, and this was right before I, I eventually left and thank God startups came along or not startups, uh, search discovery came along, but I was standing in the bathroom getting ready in the morning. And I was like, I told my wife and I, and like my wife knows that like, if I'm not talking about my job, like things are good. But when I start talking about my job more at home, like things are not as good. And I just had to say, Gina, I think I'm, I think I'm depressed. Um, I think something's wrong. I don't think I, I, I don't think I can work at my job anymore. And for me, like coming from the culture that I had come from and the idea that you don't admit weakness and so on and so forth and all of that, you know, past abuse, it wasn't easy for me to admit that to myself. And then not only that, say it out loud. Um, and luckily I was able to um, have a place where I could go to in search, search discovery that luckily it's all. And I, I've always said like, there are, there are a lot of things that line up with fate in my life. Um, and I apologize. I feel like I'm going on and on and on. Um, but that was one, one thing where they just happened to have a job opening. And I just happened to know that a lot of people that I had previously worked with at Razorfish were there here at search discovery now and I reached out and uh, I was pretty honest. And I said, guys, I'm honestly, I'm kind of desperate. I'm really, really, really unhappy to the point of being depressed where I'm at. And I know that I shouldn't by rights feel this way because this job was almost like the perfect job. Um, and uh, Tim Truss, my, my boss, literally within two hours of sending him a message on LinkedIn, called me and set up an interview that same day. And I'm on the, I was on the phone uh, with a couple of my call, now current colleagues here in interviewing. And it was like a whirlwind. And I was so, so grateful um, that, that search discovery was able to come along and kind of scoop me up. And it, and I feel so much more at home. And I'm, I like, I can say I was able to kind of get through it and battle through the, the depression. And it was a battle. Um, but man, it, it just felt like a giant weight lifted off my, my shoulders. Um, and I don't know like how you guys feel or if you guys allow what happens professionally to affect you to that degree. But I know for me that his, my professional life, I almost feel like is, is so important to me as, as it relates to who I am that I almost exclusively, that's where my depression comes from nowadays. Now, when I was younger, it came more from personal, personal life. But now like if I fall into that, um, and there, who knows, I might fall into it again at some point in, in the future. It's very unpredictable. But 
Um, I don't know how you guys feel or if you've battled through anything, anything similar. Yeah. So from my point of view, I, I, well, it's, it seems like we had quite a similar background growing up. So um, I, I come from a, come from a family where there, there was you know, physical and mental abuse. Um, so I've got that, I've always got that feeling that I've, I'm not good enough, that I'll never be good enough, that nothing that I do is good enough. And when, when you, I mean, you know, I love my job. I love the things that I do. But when you've got that constantly nagging away in your head, like many of us sadly do, combined with uh, an industry that's that's almost kind of, you know, that some people have celebrity status that's pretty unattainable for many. Um, and you've got the imposter syndrome that, you know, some people argue, oh, imposter syndrome doesn't exist. It's a, you know, a, a middle class or an yeah. upper middle class yeah, luxury. It's so hard. Um, it is so hard yeah yeah and 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 when you've got that and you pair it pair those two things together with the pressure to perform being a a woman being someone that's you know having to deal with toxic masculinity being someone who's from a from a different uh even you know a race or cultural background having those different things paired together with with the all of the different elements and the facets and the intersections of of our role it's it can be so so hard and you're, you you feel like you're constantly uh, at some point you're you know treading water and and it just takes one thing to to make you think right i need to i need to sort things out i need to take a breath i need to figure out what what i need to change whether it's something in your home life whether it's your job whether you need to go and speak to human resources or or just you know go and take take a little bit more time for yourself book a holiday or go and see the doctor there's there's lots of things that you can do but it's it, you know it's it's up to you to try and figure out what 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 is the issue and how are you going to deal with it yeah, I think, and Jeff, I, I don't know if you have any, Jeff, do you have any thoughts on this before I jump back in? Uh, no, I mean, it's it's like tough, right? Thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's tough because I think we all battle, you know, whether it's stress related or, or I think any of my mental health comes from stress, which is probably caused by mental health, <laughs> um, you know, going, going through that way where I definitely internalize a lot of things until I explode. Um, and at that time, because you know, sometimes I feel it doesn't matter, you know, in the long grand scheme of things. Right. And that's where it builds up and then I explode, but a lot of it's just stress building on me until I, I act out. And then once I act out, then it's like, then after that it's damage done and, and things that might happen after that. But, um, it, I think we all kind of battle it in a way, but I mean, it's, and maybe I, I, you know, when it comes down to that, it's like, I don't think I've ever done anything to be super damaging that I like where I felt like I needed help. But at the same time, I, I think, you know, just talking and I know at work here at search discovery, we, we have these monthly meetings um, about how just like about how to thrive at our company. And the last two months have been more about mental health where we talked about doing things with um, mindfulness um, and then we had someone kind of talk about their, their mental health issues and, and what they did to, to go through it. And it is good. It's the one thing is it's good to know is that like a lot of people go through this and it's not just you. Um, so being able to just talk, whether it's professional or just talking to somebody that, that will listen um, can really help get, 
some of that out and, and really help clean it up. Um, and that's more of just to me, anxiety and stress, not necessarily a true mental health issue um, where that, where that's at. And that's where I, I mean, you definitely need professional help then. Um, but if it's, you know, it's just even things just like stress building up can definitely cause some, some, you know, unstable mental conditions. Yeah. And so the, the, the one part of this that, I don't want to pretend to like have answers. And if you're somebody that is, that is going through, through this, um, it's very easy for other people on the outside that are not going through it to tell you how you should feel or how you should fix it. Um, some of those answers might help and some of them might not. I'm sure that there have been um, plenty of people that have made, uh, made the decision to, take their own life that did, did so. And I don't personally um, confess to under, understand that. Um, but that did so knowing that they had uh, people probably telling them how they should handle their, their own lives um, and, and what changes they need to make. And maybe even knowing that people love them. And I think that that's an important component of it too. Like sometimes I, I have thought about like things as dark as like what, would I, would I be missed stuff like stuff like that? And of course, you know, the answer to that, but when you're going through it, sometimes it's hard to kind of sort, sort that, um, sort it all out. And I think the, the interesting thing is, um, from the outsider's perspective, looking, looking in, in terms of what you can do, I think is an outsider. And again, I don't profess to have the answers. I think a really, really important skill just as a human, um, important very much in SEO, um, because you, you're constantly dealing with people and you're constantly building relationships is empathy. Um, I've actually said like working with developers, one of the best skills you can have to work with developers is, is, is not like technical expertise. It's empathy uh, to knowing what people are going through. And not only that, knowing that every single person that you pass every single day, everybody is going through something um, and just having an, an emotional intelligence and an awareness and an empathy and being, um, being willing to be there for that person if they'll have you. Um, now, some people won't. Uh, some people kind of choose to uh, approach their problems on their own. And if uh, sometimes I'm like that, and for me, what has helped me really is just being honest with myself and, and recognizing when, when I'm in kind of a darker place and figuring out, okay, what steps do I need to take to dig myself out of this? But there might be people that don't know what steps they have to have to take. And as somebody on the outside, having empathy, I would, I would say is a, a really important skill. I know. Um, so my brother to share another quick an anecdote. Uh, so my brother is gay and being gay in the Midwest is not like, it's not a cool thing. Um, not, I don't, not because I don't think it's cool. I think it's great. Um, but with kind of the cultural values in the Midwest, the reaction that he got from my family was about what you would expect. Um, which is to say that it was awful. Uh, and he went through, and now he's very proud of who he is, but he went through for a long time some pretty severe mental health issues. And it felt very much like there was not a thing I could do um, other than to empathize and let him talk. Um, it wasn't like I was going to change my, my family's mind about the way that they thought as backwards as I thought they were. There was no changing their mind. So it's not like I can do an end around and go fix the situation for him. Right. Um, and, and I think that for him, it was a combination of 
feeling comfortable in his, in his skin, no matter what other, what other people said. And on my side, it was being there for him, just if for nothing else, just to listen uh, and let him vent and let him kind of share his frustrations. And um, I don't know, doing my best to, to just be kind of a good at that, at that point in time, just a good brother, but yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what you guys feel in terms of like recommendations for how to approach people that might be struggling with this or, or how to approach yourself if you're struggling with this, but kind of that, that would be my thing. It's just the empathy. Yeah. I think being there, being open and being able to, to provide, whether it's getting someone to send you a direct message or just, just being there to listen, um, or, or just having them know that, that you're there to listen. Um, obviously, you know, everyone has their own experiences and there will be people that have had bad experiences where someone said, oh, I'm here to listen and they haven't had people listen to them. Um, that has happened in the past. Um, but I think building, where, where you've been building your own community or whether, whether it's your family, friends, it. I think yeah just being there for each other really really matters like a lot of people are like well talk about it you can talk about it but if you're if you're going through something and you you don't feel like you you want to talk about something um it's yeah it's a it's a really 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 difficult one um being there for someone you can't always ask for help you don't always want to ask for help um, sadly, one of uh, a, a very popular celebrity in the UK uh, took her own life last week. Um, and one of the Instagram in an Instagram post that she posted in back in September, and she mentioned it, and and it and it you know it really resonated with me because it I felt that way a lot. Is I don't want to be a burden, and I think it's it's being there for people and and at least trying to help out and say well you're not a burden to me. I'm here for you. I'm, I, I listen. You might not be there at that exact time, but, but there are people and yeah, it's just supporting each other. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, again, I always feel on my side, it's, I don't ever want to make things worse either. Right. And it's giving bad advice. I think could be, um, you know, I think I might've grew up in the, the area where it's like, pull yourself together. You know, mm. pull yourself up, dust it off. And, and that's not a lot of the, the best recommendations there. So um, yeah, no, I think just being there and being open and, you know, making the person feel like you're not burdening them is, is a big, is a big thing. Awesome. Well, this is a great discussion. Um, and, and it's, it's one I think that we, we need to have more and more of and, 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 not necessarily just SEO industry, just with your friends. If you see anyone who's, who's out there struggling, you know, try to reach out and help or, or, you know, at least find the information that might be able to help them. So. So cool. Oh, good. So Jeff, do you want to close out with our, with our question? I feel like it's always, always me with the. the oh yeah. No worries. Awesome. So Natalie, uh, we like to finish the show by asking a, a question and basically it comes down to if you were starting off in SEO today, um, what advice would you give yourself or give someone else who would be, you know, starting off in SEO today? Oh, wow. So uh, I would say stay, try to stay eager, keep your interest up, um, find out what you enjoy and try and figure out 
yeah exactly what what you enjoy and what makes you tick and run with that um you know it might always might not always work for your client or your company but i'm sure you'll be able to find somewhere that does uh, and it does work but it's yeah it's i think definitely in find something that you enjoy and that that you want to do because in this industry there's so many aspects of uh, where you can do exactly what you want to do and exactly what you enjoy and that's that's one of the great things about working in seo that is so true there are there are so many different ways you can go nowadays uh and still be an seo um so natalie where can people find you um so people can find me on twitter so my twitter handle is at underscore underscore nca um i'm on i'm on linkedin and yeah just just find me natalie arney um and I will have my own website up and running soon. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they're where I'm usually found, mainly on Twitter, talking about Animal Crossing and Bon Appetit and all kinds of other things as, uh, alongside SEO. And in April, on a conference stage at Brighton SEO. So exactly. congratulations. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so go find her there. If you're going to Brighton SEO, uh, find yeah. her. Uh, session and learn how to punch above your weight. <laughs> All right, Natalie, uh, it was a great uh, discussion. Thank you so much for um, for coming on. And, and like I said before, I think that this has the potential to be one of our more important episodes, um, just because it talks about, I, I think, not just the SEO, the SEO life, but something that I feel like is an underlying and uh, an undercurrent of everything that we do as humans, not just SEO, but it's definitely something that is important in the SEO industry. So I'm glad that, that we were able to talk about it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to more episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Additionally, you can also listen to our show on our new YouTube channel, If you'd like to become a sponsor or would like to be interviewed, get in touch with us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing.